Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Coming up on Studios America, Dan Andros and I will solve the education crisis together. It should just take I don't know, a few minutes, maybe. The Supreme Court hears arguments on Biden's uh, and his administration's wide-sweeping COVID mandates. And as we all struggle individually to deal with the ongoing pandemic, it's vital that we don't lose sight of others who are struggling along with us, especially those of the younger variety. So let's take stock and do COVID's cost on kids. Stu does America. Well, they're in the Supreme Court today, a little earlier on. They're doing oral arguments on a couple different vaccine mandate cases that, oh my gosh, it's always such a joy to watch these arguments, or at least listen to these arguments. They only give you audio. They don't give you video. Only audio. Uh, the arguments were based on a couple of these different mandates. One was the mandate on private businesses, 100 people uh, or more, that you had to have a vaccine or a test uh, weekly plus masks uh, through OSHA. There's another one about healthcare facilities, uh, you know, the vaccine mandate there. And there was a lot of back and forth about whether this would go on. Now, this isn't when they're going to decide whether these cases or you know, who wins or who loses. This is when they decide if the mandate can go into effect until we figure out who wins or who loses. Because this system makes perfect sense all the time. And there's never any questions about it whatsoever. Uh, I will say this. and. I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself sometimes. Sometimes I say, you know, the liberals on the court are blah, 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 blah. And that's not really fair. I don't think that's the right way to talk about the Supreme Court. When you talk about the Supreme Court, you can't just say the liberals on the court like they're all the same. Like, I think there's a real difference between uh, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor. Now, they're going to vote uh, in a similar way most of the time. But like Elena Kagan seems to be someone who's very, very liberal and does not agree with me at all as to what this country should uh, look like as far as its rules and the role of government. But she seems like she's got a good head on her shoulders. She seems to occasionally say things that are mildly sane. Sometimes she'll ask good questions. And even though I don't agree with her on almost all of her rulings, she seems like a competent Supreme Court justice of the left. Sonia Sonia Sotomayor, seems like someone who, first of all, has a very difficult name for me to say, apparently, but also like an idiot. She kind of just seems like she's just like, like if you took the average um, online editor at Huffington Post and threw her in a chair at the Supreme Court, that's what she seems like. Let me give you some of the highlights from her today. Uh, Dan McLaughlin uh, highlighted one. Why is a human being spewing a virus not like a machine spewing sparks? Hmm, interesting, deep question. Shannon Bream points this one out. Uh, Sotomayor says Omicron is as deadly as Delta. Well, we know that it's not. Every piece of information that we have shows that it is not as deadly as Delta. How about Ed Whelan pointing out Sotomayor said, many kids are on ventilators from COVID. Now, I guess that, depending on what your definition of many is, 
But uh, it is not the situation in the United States that lots of kids are on ventilators from from COVID. Thankfully, right? We we are happy about this. This is one of the hidden blessings of COVID. It's not as terrible as it could be because kids, generally speaking, are not uh, affected by it in the sort of ways that adults and particularly elderly people are. And that's really good news because the opposite would be something that pushes against all of our instincts, right, as a society. Why do you have a society? Think of the smallest society we have, which is our family. Why does it exist? It exists so that people who are older, adults, can make sure that the kids can can grow up and be protected and, and be taught uh, you know, important things and grow in their life of faith or intellect or whatever it is. Uh, you know, obviously, as an adult, you have things that you want to do that are important as well. But there's a fundamental part of that responsibility that goes on the adults. That's how our society has always been set up. And uh, it goes back long before the United States of America. Well, what we're seeing now is a weird reversal of that idea. And I want to talk about that today. The New York Times uh, actually did a good job reporting on a lot of this stuff. And, you know, as as uh, as every once in a while, I like to do when a mainstream media source comes out and does something that I think is is honorable and and does a good job with something. I think it's important, really important to point it out because so often the opposite is going on. But the New York Times, uh, as I called them out earlier this week uh, for a ridiculous article they wrote about Glenn Beck, This is a really good summary of the types of things that are going on. And it's really important because it's largely speaking to the left here. It's not, you know, you're not telling Stu or Steve Dace or Glenn Beck or Chad Prather, hey, uh, kids are having a tough time with COVID. We've been thinking about that for a long time. The left, on the other hand, has taken a different approach. And they've basically said, you don't care about kids or grandmas or anybody unless you put in every single restriction and never think about the other side of it. And that is dangerous in a major way. Um, so the story uh, came out this week, and I want to go through some of the different factors. What is happening to our kids? I think it's called a, a no time to grow up or, or no way to grow up. Uh, talking about our kids in the middle of a pandemic. I have a, a eight and a 10 year old. And if you think about this, the pandemic now stretching about two years, that's a quarter of one of my kids life. And if you think about it, I mean, my earliest memories are from when I was about five or six years old. You know, my daughter, almost all of her memories are in the middle of, of a pandemic. Now, we've done everything we can to make it not feel like a pandemic, and maybe we'll go into that a little bit later on uh, in the program, but not everybody's had those opportunities, and if you were in the wrong area, the wrong state at the wrong time, you've had to pay a massive penalty, and you've had to pay it with your kid's childhood, and that's not fair or right. Here are some of the, uh, out the, the issues they've outlined here in the New York Times. Children fell far behind in school during the first year of the pandemic and have not caught up. Among third through eighth graders, math and reading levels were all lower than normal this fall, according to a research group. Um, one of the things uh, I've talked about a bunch of times during this whole uh, fantastical catastrophe we've been in the middle of over the past couple of years is the idea that we have created a real two-tier society. Not rich and poor, not black and white, but blue state and red state, or blue area and red area. Um, Now, 
there have been red areas that have had problems. There have been blue areas that have been better than others. But generally speaking, the people who have decided to crack down on locking down schools and all of that from the beginning and have extended that for a really, really long time have set up an entire generation of kids to be running behind my kids. My kids went back to school in August of 2020. 2020. Um, and they went back to school right on time, the date they were supposed to go back. Uh, they missed the last few weeks of 2020 as everything kind of uh, of the 2020 or excuse me, 2019 to 2020 school year. Um, and that was that was rough. Even just those few weeks. I can't imagine what someone in, a, in, in Washington, D.C. or New York or California has had to deal with when their kids stayed home for another year beyond that. You're putting them in an impossible position to catch up with other kids like mine or maybe yours that you took them out. You homeschooled you. Uh, you kept them in school through whether it was a private school or you lived in an area with a public school that remained open. It makes a massive difference. And it puts all these kids at a disadvantage. No one seems to care on the left about that. That's a major problem. Um, many children and teenagers are experiencing mental health pro- uh, problems aggravated by the isolation and disruption of the pandemic. Three medical groups, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, recently declared a national state of emergency in children's mental health. They cited dramatic increases in emergency department visits for all mental health emergencies. I mean, I think every single person who has had to deal with the last couple of years has at least had a moment of going a little bonkers. You know, I mean, I I think everybody had it, whether it was just in March and April when everything was locked down or maybe you weren't able to see a relative that you love. Maybe you weren't able. Maybe your job was making you do things you didn't want to do, whether it's masking up or getting a vaccine that you didn't want. Uh, Maybe a relative died. I mean, there's so many terrible things that have happened. It's been a strain on everybody. Imagine what it's like for teenagers who are generally insane anyway. I mean, it makes it even worse. Um, Suicide attempts are up. They have risen slightly among adolescent boys, but sharply among adolescent girls. The number of ER visits for suspected suicide attempts by 12 to 17 year old girls rose by 51 percent from early 2019 to 2021, according to the CDC. Now, this one I will give a little bit of an asterisk uh, next to in that it's not exactly connected to schools closing. I think a lot of people have made that assumption and I can understand why. It seems, though, that while suicides are up among younger people, those rates are not necessarily up more in areas where schools remain closed. Um, It may very well just be that the overall craziness of the pandemic and everyone around them going insane uh, led to uh, more of this going on and just dealing with with a world that has a scary outlook. It could be more of that than just the schools closing down. But the schools, of course, are an element in that and are reflective of the overall era that we're going through here. Um, How about uh, the return to normal? I mean, when does that happen? Many schools have still not returned to normal, worsening learning loss and social isolation. Once normal aspects of school life, lunchtime, extracurricular activities, assemblies, school trips, parent-teacher conferences, reliable bus schedules, have been transformed, if not eliminated. So even when you get back into school, you're not getting the same experience that you expected. Uh, Jason Buttrell, who's been on the show, uh, you know, a bunch of times over the years, talked about on one of his appearances about his daughter who graduated high school. I believe it was the end of uh, the 2019, 2020 year and was expecting, you know, a prom and uh, all the things that go along with the second half of school in your senior year, which is not a lot of work and a lot of really cool, fun bonding type activities. 
a graduation at the end of it. Uh, it wasn't months and months later that they got the graduation. And a lot of those events were just canceled. People lost out on, you know, a year that a lot of people look back at as one of their most you know, fond memories of childhood. Just been erased because of these policies and what we've been dealing with. Schools across the country say they have seen an uptick in disruptive behaviors. Some are obvious and visible, like students trashing bathrooms, fighting over social media posts, or running out of classrooms. Other are, others are quieter calls for help, like students putting their head down and refusing to talk. I, you know, these are real adult-type problems that have been uh, foisted upon uh, young people who... Look, they don't have, I don't think kids have the capability to deal with social media. I don't know an adult that has the capability of actually dealing with it. So forget that with kids. Imagine all the craziness that went along with your journey through high school back in the day. Imagine that being magnified, posted about all the time. Just life as a kid right now, in a lot of ways, is really challenging for mental health type reasons. Add on to that a freaking once in a century pandemic. Can you imagine what what the effects are long term on a lot of these kids? And, you know, it's not all solved by, you know, policy changes. A lot of it is built into just having a rough couple of years here. But you can make it a lot worse with the policy changes. Um, The Omicron variant is now scrambling children's lives again. Most schools have stayed open this week, but many have canceled sports, plays and other activities. Some districts have closed schools for a day or more, despite evidence that most children struggle to learn remotely. Closings are taking place in Atlanta, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Newark, and several New York City suburbs, among other places. It goes on and on and on, and it highlights um, a lot of the problems. I don't know if they got to all of them, but there's a lot of them. And, you know, you think of this, this disruptive time. We've, we've had issues with uh, pandemics before that weren't like this serious. H1N1 was one of them. In fact, you look back, a lot of schools did close for a time when there were outbreaks in those schools, but it wasn't this perpetual, ongoing uh, threat to close. You didn't know, you couldn't plan around things, you couldn't do things, you didn't get that full experience, and that's going to take an effect on an entire generation of kids. And we have to push back as hard as we can against it. And I think one of the most difficult things I hit this at the beginning of the monologue. One of the most difficult things about this, and I think what really screws up everybody's heads, not just kids, but adults and and, and the country and its identity, is the idea that as a society, we are set up for adults to make sacrifices to help kids along. We, We love being with our kids. But like, you know, uh, if you want to go out, you want to go out and hang out with your friends all night. You want to go. Uh, maybe you're a big drinker. You want to go out and drink every night. A lot of parents stop doing that stuff when they have kids. Why? Because they know it's their responsibility to take care of the kids. They will sacrifice maybe the fun thing that they want to do. Maybe they won't spend money on that fancy thing because they need to buy something for their kids. You make sacrifices to make sure your kid's life is as good as it can be. You take time out of your busy schedule. You, sac- you sacrifice events. You sacrifice financially. You do all these things. And I'm explaining this in detail as if you don't know it because we seem to have forgotten it as a society. We have now reversed this dynamic. Think about what COVID and these restrictions have done. We all understand we don't want people to get sick. We don't want grandma to die. We don't want any of those things to happen. Nobody wants those things to happen. But what we've asked children to do 
is to take a massive chunk of the punishment, of the restrictions, of uh, all of the uh, life-altering craziness that has happened over the past couple of years. And we've asked them to swallow a massive chunk of it for almost none of the benefit. We've asked the kids to change their lives to protect the adults. We've asked the kids to sacrifice to protect the adults. The kids are not dying from this. Obviously, there are some exceptions to that. Um, but, you know, the, the numbers are insane. I mean, I think the, ch- the, number, the chances of a child dying of COVID is something like one-tenth of their uh, chance of dying from a car accident. We certainly aren't going to say, hey, don't drive your kids anywhere because it's too risky. So, understandably, maybe a little bit at the beginning, People said, we don't know what this is. We don't know how much it affects kids. Who knows? There's lots of question marks. We need to take our time and make sure we understand this. Okay. You know, I think we all understood the first couple of weeks there. uh, We want to make sure we were going to be safe with kids. But as we understood more and more about this virus, we turned the natural parental sort of mindset around upside down and said, hey, kids, you guys are going to be the ones who are responsible for everybody's health. Not us, you guys are. You guys are gonna be the ones who uh, take all the sacrifice for none of the benefit. That is a twisted way to run a civilization. It's not gonna do well long-term. And I think what's good about this is a couple of things. One, I think a lot of people on the left are starting to wake up. I mean, you even see Lori Lightfoot yelling at the teachers unions now to get back into schools. I think a lot of people who are moderate, who are on the left, um, not just conservative parents are saying, this is crazy, this has got to end. And many of them are ending their relationship with public schools because of this craziness. And secondarily, I think there's an opening. There's a, there's a, there's a chance for conservatives to, to do something here, um, which might be a hidden blessing to all the terrible things we've had to deal with over the past couple of years, which is to emphasize the idea that we can do school better, pandemic or not. We don't have to do it like this. We don't have to have all this craziness. We don't have to have boy swimmers swimming in girl swim meets. We don't have to have CRT and all the associated racism involved in that. We don't have to have that. We can do this better. It's already there. We know how to do it. I want to talk to uh, Dan Andros here in just a second. He's from faithwire.com. He's a, a parent who did a lot of these things when nobody was doing them and has now seen a lot of people who have dealt with the pandemic decide to change the way they're uh, you know, parenting and also educating their kids. We'll do that next. Let's make 2022 the year you don't put up with BS. That starts with your falling apart, scratchy, stained old sweatpants. Get rid of them. Give yourself the upgrade you deserve and lounge like a champ with Tommy John. I mean, look, if you're going to be home, you're going to be on Zoom calls all day. Maybe you're homeschooling. You better be freaking comfortable. Tommy John uh, has men's underwear that are breathable, lightweight, moisture wicking fabric, four times the stretch of competing brands. I can tell you, I've got them. They're freaking awesome. I love them. They also have this incredible loungewear stuff. I mean, I don't even know what they make this stuff out of. It feels just like, it's just like, it's like butter. 
It's got over 17 million pairs sold. Tommy John's doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. I'm one of them. Best of all, it's backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free. Guarantee 20% off your first order right now at TommyJohn.com slash stew. Go to TommyJohn.com slash stew. Get 20% off right now. You see cipher details, but you're going to love this stuff. TommyJohn.com slash stew. I want to bring in Dan Andros, managing editor of FaithWire.com. Dan, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks. Uh, you know, we just went over this whole uh, situation with the kids and all the things that have I mean, not even all. We probably didn't cover all of them, but a bunch of the things that have been negative uh, for children during the pandemic after looking at all these restrictions. And one of the big focuses, of course, from conservatives and people who have been, you know, uh, questioning of all of these massive uh, draconian uh, restrictions is this idea that like, hey, we got to open these schools up. And it's weird because simultaneously, at the same time as saying, going in front of the school boards and yelling at the school boards and saying, we have to unmask these children. They need to be there. They need to be able to socialize. They need to be able to learn. It's incredibly important. At the same time, we're we're screaming at sometimes the same school boards and saying, how dare you teach our kids all this trash, CRT, right. gender, all of this. It's basically this idea of you're you're taking our kids in school and abusing them with all this crazy information, but you better let them back in the door so they can hear it. It's, <laughs> it's such a weird argument. And I feel like the whole time there's been this thing sitting here that conservatives have been arguing for for a million years, which is taking uh, taking our kids out of these public schools, getting them out of there. And this has been a massive opportunity. And to me, it feels like one conservatives have missed. Yeah. Yeah, this is I mean, I always joke on social media when I see these crazy, you know, things happening at the schools, you know, the libs of TikTok, these these educators (laughs) that are saying insane things. And I'm always just like, wow, these homeschooling ads are fantastic. <laughs> and uh, I mean, because it, it should be what it is. You would think there would be, and there are numbers, I mean, over the last year or so since the pandemic, there are a lot of people who have, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's a surge of, yeah. of people who have said, you know what, like, I like being with my kids. And so homeschooling is certainly increasing. And it's steadily, and it's rapidly increased actually since, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. It's like, whereas virtually no one was doing it. Mm-hmm. And you and this is one of those moments, Stu, where it seems like it is the perfect storm to really put the American, you know, progressive public government education system on trial because they've got a monopoly on the education in the minds of our kids. And we're constantly, you know, we're sending our kids generally to these eight hour a day plus indoctrination camps where they get to learn the wonders of Karl Marx and the evils of capitalism. And then they come out all Bernie broed up and we're wondering why. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I think it seems like it's the perfect time, the perfect, you know, moment for people to put them on trial. Yeah. uh, uh, Now, for those who don't know, Dan and I grew up together. We went to the same uh, public school and worked really hard every single day to get the best education possible. Um, and, you know, and it's like, you know, we had some good teachers. We had some maybe that 
weren't all that great. Um, and I, I wouldn't look back at that education, even in Connecticut, as, as like full-on indoctrination. But we could have probably done better in a different situation. And I kind of wanted to bring you in today because, you know, you said 20 years ago nobody was doing it. Well, you were basically doing it almost 20 years ago. I mean, you, you, your, your daughter is 16 years old. You, you were yeah. the first person that I knew from my age group that started homeschooling. And can you kind of give us a, a, a look back at, like, how you came to that decision? And was it easy? Was it difficult? How did, how did it happen? Yeah, well, for us, it was it was kind of like gradual because my wife had it was definitely her. Like, I didn't even think I mean, I'm, you know, the idiot guy. I'm just not even thinking of that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> duh, you just you just send your kids this way. Right. Um, but she kind of kept mentioning to me like that she was just having that feeling that, you know, she needed to have more involvement with the kids uh, education. And so that was from when my daughter was little, our firstborn. And so obviously had a few years before like school came. So she did actually go to the public school kindergarten, which was half day. And then when we were down in Texas, we found a school there that was sort of like half homeschool and they'd go in two days a week. And so that was kind of like a hybrid. And then when we ended up coming back up here to Philadelphia, where we were at, then we just went full. We found there, there's a community that you're kind of other families are doing it as well. So you're not just off on your own. Like the, it's nice to have a community. But um so that was it. Then we were full on into it. So but it really stemmed from the idea. What my wife said was, you know, she just kind of like I'm thinking of this of our kids and we send them off at, you know, whatever, seven, eight in the morning and they're gone all day and then they come back like it when she put it that way. I, you know, like we're letting someone else train them all day and then we get them at nighttime. Like so that just that idea just wasn't sitting well with her. So that's how it happened for us. And we've been doing it since. So it's one of those things I remember a long time ago, I wanted to buy I was thinking about buying a new bed. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, this is a bed that I'm going to spend a third of my life in. Right. Like yeah. it's, it's we don't, I never think of it that way. But like, why wouldn't I spend a few extra bucks uh, on a bed when I'm going to spend a third of my life in it? And when you you've said that to me before, we're like, yeah, we kind of just drop them off and they get raised by we don't even know who. You know, maybe we meet the teacher once at the beginning of the year and once for parent teacher conferences. And and they kind of just like raise the kids while we're at work. And then we come back and we're surprised by the results. I, I mean, I think it's a really it's kind of a changing the, the dichotomy of the way you think about this. Now, I know from your particular situation, um, you know, your wife is a highly trained medical professional. She's obviously 100 times smarter and more accomplished <laughs> than you are. Um, yeah. And so it was uh, <laughs> difficult. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's a difficult. It had to be a difficult decision at that point because she was working. And then it's the question of whether she stays home to, to do this. I mean, how did you deal with that decision? Yeah, well, um, we kind of made a choice early on when my daughter was young, uh, just newborn. Um, you know, this was early on in our careers and everything else. And so we didn't really have much money at all. And um, she's just, I want to stay home. She's like, I, I don't want to go back to work, you know, while she's little and we'll figure out we'll figure it out later. And so I was like, well, we're going to be in the negative every month. You realize that if you don't work <laughs> just because of the way, you know, with the house, you know, the, the house we were living in and everything else. And she said, and we kind of made that decision where she's like, yeah, I want to do that. I was like, okay, I think if that's what you want to do. Let's do it. And so, yeah, for the first year and a half or whatever it was, uh, we just basically, we just basically depleted our funds till it was down to zero almost. And we just, cause it was important to her. And so we kind of found a way to just make it work. And then from there we, we crossed the next bridge and, and went on from there. And so, you know, thankfully for us, God kept providing 
and she hasn't had to go back to work full time. She did some part time work, I think, in the, in the middle there. And we kind of just juggled our schedules like she'd go do, you know, some things here and there to make some extra money. But um, the, the point is we found a way. And so um, that's kind of how we've been doing it ever since. You hear a lot, I think, from uh, from parents who look at this. And let me let me uh, group all of this together. When we're talking about homeschooling, maybe private school, I think one of the things that has risen up over the past um, a couple years, particularly through COVID, is this idea of pod learning. You mentioned a mm. hybrid model. There are a lot of different approaches, but let me just put that all in the, in the basket of like alternative schooling options. Yeah. You hear a lot from parents uh, that uh, you know it, it's cost too much. Um, it would take too much time. Um, I'm. I want to. I want to be at my job. I want to. I want to. You know, contribute in in that way in the workplace. Um, you know, maybe that it's. Uh, I wouldn't be good at it, or it's really hard. Can you kind of address some of these concerns that people have? Because I think it's a really intimidating thing to take on, to pull yourself out of this system that everyone thinks is so well established. Yeah, I think at the core of it is if you. Real, it's not. It's not. Like it's going to be easy. Um, I think we're just so used to everything being relatively easy here in America. I think you're going to have to make sacrifices. Like it wasn't fun having my bank account go down to zero. I mean, we couldn't do anything. Like, we were, we, you know, it was nothing. Like, yeah. it, but it was important to her to be at home with our child. So, um, I guess where it's just if you want something bad enough, you will find a way to get it done. And you have to trust that God's going to provide in that situation as well, if it's meant to be. Um, so I think you just have to look at, you know, what is realistic? What can you pull off at that moment and then go for it? Um, because, I mean, maybe you got to do something drastic, like downsize your life and sell your house and get into something cheaper. Because I know, you know, I nobody ever taught me that, that sort of thinking. So, like, when we first got into our careers, we bought a house that just, we're oh, this is how much money we're making. Let's buy a house. And, you know, this is how much we can afford. You don't think, well, maybe we should just base it on one of our salaries so that if something happens, you know, one of us can switch or whatever. You just don't. I don't know. At least uh, me. I was not brought up that way to think that way. Nobody ever mentioned it to me. So we didn't do it. Um, but like, <laughs> you might have to just actually rethink your entire life and the way that you've set things up. I, I think you'll find you can get it done. Um and, you know, juggling schedules, even if both of you have to work a certain amount, you know, especially now, because after COVID, working at home is something that is much more acceptable and common, whereas it wasn't before. So um, where there's a will, there's a way is kind of, I would say, my encouragement there to anybody who's just fed up uh, with particularly public schools, because I think in private schools, obviously, a lot of times price is the barrier there. But um but you, you can find a private school that relatively mirrors your values and and kind of, you know, what you guys believe. And so you can you can you can at least trust that your kids are going to get something similar to what you're teaching at home. And so you're not like having to undo everything that happened at the school, right, right. Um, you know, when they get home. Yeah. So um, but our homeschool communities do you, you'd be surprised like they're just we can only do so much in our community because of just how many people we have. And so we're having to turn people away because there's so many that are just like, we, we want to start doing this. We, we, we needed, we need to get out. And so, um, we have new families every year that are just like fleeing the public school system. Yeah. Um, it, it really is happening in big numbers. And I feel like sometimes I describe this as a missed opportunity. It's just happening naturally. I just feel like it's something that yeah. Republicans should have been fighting for. I mean, when you have, let's say $9 trillion of spending in COVID, 
maybe it would have been really good for Republicans to force into one of these bills a voucher system yeah. of some sort. Because, I mean, yes. the money thing is so frustrating for me to hear uh, because you see your good families who want to bring their kids to maybe a private school or, or want to be able to take um, uh, maybe not work as much to the, so they can homeschool. And the idea is, well, I can't pay for school because, um, you know, I don't have any money. And it's like, you're already paying you already for pay. school. You're paying for school sadly, and now they want you to pay yeah. for school twice. That little tweak in the system would do so much for so many families, not to mention what maybe private charities can do. I feel like we focus as conservatives so much on the university system, which at yeah. this point is much, pretty much a lost cause, where yes. the K through 12 system is really there. It's, it's much more important foundationally for kids and we kind of ignore it. Yes. And it's like, think of the opportunities that people could have for ads to run against basically what I mentioned before is a monopoly on our children's education system. And these unions, like they know they have a monopoly on it and they do not want to let it go. That's why they fight. There's no rational reason to fight more options for your education. There's no rational reason for it other than that's your piece of the pie and you don't want to let anybody else have it. Uh, and you want to control all of that because that's their bread and butter. And, you know, they don't they don't want to let anybody else in on that. But there it is absolutely um, a valid argument to say, hey, I mean, no business, you know, let's say you pay, I don't know, a thousand dollars a month in taxes. Like no business. You, you go in and you pay twelve thousand dollars for something and you're like, mm, actually, I want that one over there. And they're like, oh, no, I'm sorry. We, we decide what happens with that money. Like you guys don't get to. You know, you don't get to have a say in that. But it's my twelve thousand dollars. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and as Terry um, McAuliffe would tell you, you, you shouldn't have yeah. any voice in, in yeah. what they're teaching, even when you get there. And you have, you know, you might even have a good teacher who can't teach you the things that they want to teach you. I mean, it really is a pathetic yeah. system. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think um, part of the I wanted to talk to you about this because I think a lot of parents think about these things and, and they want to they want to make these moves, but they feel like it's impossible. And, you know, look, it's, it may be impossible for some people, but I think you're right. If prioritizing and prioritizing and teaching maybe your grown kids as they get into relationships to have these conversations before they get married, uh, yeah. before they have children to understand uh, how to approach these things. Because if you're afraid of of CRT, if you're afraid of, of the, you know, the gender craziness or whatever you think is being taught taught poorly in public schools. If you see that as a threat, it's only going to get worse in public schools. You're yeah. going to have to step up and, and try to figure out a way to get around this. And it's not anybody, I don't think it's, you know, we're not trying to guilt people into doing this. It's just a matter of making sure you make a deliberate decision. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like w when I see these parents, as you mentioned, going before the school boards angry, it's like, why do you keep going to Caesar and begging for scraps from the table? You know, it's like, it's it's a fruitless cause. Like, I, mm. I mean, it's you know, you're going in there and you're begging for something that they don't want to give you at all. They want to jam down whatever agenda they want to jam down. They don't care, as as is evidenced by everything you talked about with what they're doing to the kids in the schools right now with covid. It's irrational compared to what everyone else is doing. It, it, it's not scientific. It's nothing else. They don't care about the kids. Uh, certainly not the way you would care about your own kids. Hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it somebody needs to, and, I, and parents are doing it, as you mentioned, they're, they are doing it, but it would be nice if we could see some other groups advocating for 
people who, like you said, maybe it's a little bit more challenging for them financially or, or time-wise or whatever the case may be, um, advocating for changes like that where they could at least get help from their own tax money that is paying for their own kids' education and they're not getting to choose how they get to use it. It would be nice. It would be nice. Uh, Dan Andros, managing editor of faithwire.com and incredible student of the same high school as me where we achieved mm. incredible uh, intellectual heights. Don't Google our, don't, our records or anything, nah, but just don't. trust us. It was yeah. good. We were great. It's always better to trust the people who are on TV. Back in a second. Mm. Thanks, Dan. Mm. Maybe you just heard us talking about this and you're like, you know, maybe we should downsize to get our kids out of these schools. Or maybe you just love the teachers unions and you're going to go buy even a bigger house. Uh, whatever you're trying to do, you need a good real estate agent to help you do it. And that's why we have realestateagentsitrust.com. You know, again, it's all about making a deliberate decision. I think sometimes we get into these ideas where the, the thing that everybody does just feels like the natural thing and we go along with it. I know that's how I was for a long time with public schools. I was like, eh, you just go and you do the public school thing. That's how you do it. I got through public schools. It was fine. Well, you know, can we do better? Do, do you, are you making a deliberate decision? And I think the same thing, same thing applies to when you buy a, a home or find a real estate agent. Are you just picking the person you run into in the streets, someone who's a friend of a friend of a friend, someone who's on a bench ad in your town? Or are you trying to get the best agent in your area that will help you through what might be the most important financial transaction you will ever make? Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person and make a deliberate decision for the best agent in your area. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. It's important to understand where we're going with COVID-19. And that's why we have a clear uh, communicator as commander in chief. You have to understand exactly what's going on. That's why he laid it out today in stark terms. This is what he said when asked whether coronavirus is here to stay. He said, no, I don't think COVID is here to stay. But having COVID in the environment here and the world is probably here to stay. So just, uh, just mentally process that and then um, you'll everything will be fine. You'll understand the world and where it's going because obviously Joe Biden does. There's a really good article I would love for you to read. I will tweet this out uh, at Stu Does America. Um, it's called Why I Soured on the Democrats. And this is an article from someone who's a left-leaning Democrat, described herself as a loyal left-leaning Democrat, uh, been there her entire life, kind of partisan who registered voters before midterm elections and went to protests. I hated Donald Trump so much that I struggled to be civil to relatives on the other side of the aisle. You know this person. Um, I can't imagine that I have arrived here, not a Republican, but questioning my place in the Democratic Party. I would not have, she says she would not have uh, got to this place had my son not been enrolled in public kindergarten in 2020. Late that summer, the Cleveland school system announced that it would not be open for in-person le learning for the first nine weeks of the semester. I was accepting of short-term closures. My faith in the system deteriorated only as the weeks and months of remote learning dragged on long past the initial timeline, and my son began refusing to log on for lessons. I couldn't blame him. Despite his wonderful teacher's best efforts, online kindergarten is about as ridiculous as it sounds. I remember logging on to a gym class where my son was the only student present. The teacher, I could tell, felt embarrassed. We both knew how absurd the situation was. 
I kept hoping that someone on our all-democratic political leadership would take a stand on behalf of Cleveland's 37,000 public school children or seem to care about what was happening. Weren't Democrats supposed to stick up for low-income kids? Instead, our veteran Democratic mayor avoided remarking on the crisis facing public school families. Things got worse in December 2020 when my whole uh, family contracted COVID-19. The coronavirus was no big deal for my three and five year olds, but I was left with lingering long COVID symptoms, which made the daily remote schooling nightmare even more grueling. I say this not to hold myself up for pity. I understand that other people had it worse than I did. By the spring semester, the data quite clearly showed that schools were not big coronavirus spreaders. And conversely, the cost of closures to children, both academically and emotionally, were very high, as we talked about earlier in the program. Well, it didn't matter. They still ignored these kids, even kids of Democrats. When the Cleveland schools finally reopened, uh, they chose a hybrid model. My husband and I had had enough with about two months left in the academic year. We found a charter school uh, to put our our kids in. Um, And she goes on and on and on and talks about how um, the response, every time she would bring up something on the opposite side of the argument, like, hey, maybe we should open these schools. Maybe they shouldn't be masked. Maybe these things are hurting our kids. She would be treated like you'd be treated saying those things. She's a lifelong Democrat. The, her, the Democrats would flame her and t- say, hammer her and say she just wanted to get back to her yoga classes. It's really, really an interesting read. I'll tweet it out at Stu Does America. In my head, a credit score is not exactly... Uh, precise science, right? It's, you know, I mean, I know they have all these algorithms and everything, but like, I I wouldn't be surprised if you could add a couple points to your credit score by adjusting a couple of things, right? What if you could add 97 points to your credit score? That's a massive difference. That's going to change the rate of your loan. That's going to save you thousands and thousands of dollars off a home purchase, for example, maybe a car purchase. Um, No matter what you're doing, uh, no matter what you're buying, no matter what loan you need or what credit card you need, maybe what job you want to get, your credit score can improve. Uh, and that's a score master. That's what they do. They've reverse a- engineered these algorithms. They understand them. They know how they work. And so when, you know, for me, it's like, I know the basics, try to pay your bills on time. What else are you supposed to do? Well, there's a lot to it. A lot goes into these credit reports and they know how these things work. You can try score master for free and you can add plus points to your credit score. They'll tell you how many in like a couple of minutes after you sign up. Scoremaster.com slash stew is the place to go. Get registered now. Scoremaster.com slash stew. It's scoremaster.com slash stew. You can comment live during the show on YouTube. Really, uh, every episode is up there, so you can check it out there. You can check it out on podcasts as well. Rate and review five stars is the appropriate number of stars. A couple comments from uh, yesterday's show. Um, uh, we're in weird times, and sometimes you never know what's coming next. Brian writes, next thing you know, someone will say that Glenn Beck gives them optimism. I don't think I don't think I don't think the world's that upside down. Brian, come on. Uh, Matthew is answering a question that I asked yesterday. If you're a big Trump supporter and you love Trump, do you want him to run in 2024? How do you feel about that? I'd love for you to answer that in the comments. We'll keep featuring them because I think that's the most interesting thing happening on the conservative side. You might like him a lot better than Biden, but would you rather have him or DeSantis or somebody else? Matthew writes, I support and like Trump a lot, but it's scary to think about how he lost the election, not because people liked Biden, but because people hated Trump. DeSantis has a better chance of gaining support from more Americans and in turn uniting us more than Trump would. All right. And uh, Joey actually has a different nomination for 2024. Michael Malice. 
2024, which that would be, I will say that would be complicated because he's an anarchist. So I think he'd have to just dissolve the government once he got in charge. And I don't know constitutionally how that would exactly work. Back in a second. (sighs) Okay. So here's what happened. I, uh, this one is, okay, I, I don't even know how to describe this story. So basically, a uh, social uh, reality star became a social media influencer, and she had come to make money by selling her own farts in a jar, which is uh, it's great. It's a great, not a sign of a downfall of a civilization, certainly. Uh, problem is, she was eating so many beans and weird things to generate these farts she was selling for profit that she put herself in the hospital because it's not a sign of a downfall of a civilization at all. Long story short, she had all these really bad problems. Now she's pivoting to selling her farts in a jar as NFTs because that's definitely not a sign of a civilization in complete and utter downfall. But you can buy them with your crypto. Get them for 0.05 ETH, about 200 bucks a piece. That's totally worth it. And subscribe. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. BlazeTV.com slash Stu.